love somebody so unconditionally and just want the very best for them, being patient actually becomes incredibly easy. Talk to your kids. That's it. Just talk, 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 talk. Um, the more authentic you are, the more vulnerable you are with your kids, the more you externalize why you are doing things, the more they can understand it and even push back. Anything is possible and you can sort of, you know, with grit and perseverance, you can achieve whatever it is that you're looking to achieve. Hey guys, I'm Young, a full-time dad and a full-time professional with the goal to become the best parent possible. The Girl Dad Show is my journey interviewing fellow working parents aspiring to be both good at work and parenting. I'm going to do this by gathering and sharing unfiltered perspectives from my guests. So join me as I research parenthood one interview at a time. Today's episode of The Girl Dad Show is sponsored by something I'm very passionate about. Coffee. Blue Jean Coffee brings sophisticated coffee brewing straight into your home, delivering an elevated coffee experience all without having to make a trip to a cafe. They source their specialty beans directly from farmers all around the world and roast them in small batches just for your order. Are you ready to upgrade your home brewing experience? Blue Jean Coffee is offering a special deal just for my listeners. Visit bluejeancoffee.com forward slash TGDS to get 10% off your first order of Blue Jean Coffee. Oh, yeah. That's a good coffee. Awesome. Javon, how you doing? Thank you so much for joining my Girl Dad show. I am well. Thank you for having me. Let's jump right into it. So why don't you tell the listeners here what you do for a living? Sure. Um, I am a independent consultant focused on growth marketing, and uh, I largely do that for edtech companies uh, as well as other D2C companies. That's awesome. How did you land into that? Yeah, it was a bit uh, serendipitous, I would say. Um, you know, I started off my career in uh, technology consulting at Accenture in the early days. So doing a lot of uh, tech building, particularly in the retail industry, um, partly that into management consulting. I was at McKinsey and Company uh, for a bunch of years and uh, sort of fortuitously got an opportunity to join something called McKinsey Digital Labs. Um, which sort of took the traditional consulting business, management consulting business, uh, providing advice and sort of took it to the next level of operationalizing and building solutions. And, um, you know, when, uh, when my wife and I were expecting our, uh, our first daughter, uh, you know, I knew that I, I couldn't be on the road anymore. Um, I loved building and creating. And I happened to meet uh, three co-founders who started their own bootstrap their own company which which um, was a digital marketing agency of sorts we did growth marketing work for a bunch of d2c brands and um, that's how i got my you know that's how i got my start in digital marketing and never looked back that's amazing i love it and you've um you've uh, just kind of talked briefly about it but you said you have a, a daughter and uh do you have any other kids or how old is she and yeah tell me about your kids yeah, I uh, have two. Uh, they're both six. One is six years old and one is six months old. So uh... oh, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I, you totally threw me off with the, they're both six. Uh, that's awesome. 
That's great. Uh, so you're you're um, you're definitely straddling the fence on the the kid rearing side, right? One's uh, one's like starting to talk talk to you a little bit more, and one's still just kind of like uh, needing so much of you, right? Hundred percent. You know, I I didn't quite know what to expect in terms of straddling both worlds at the same time. Um, I think one of the things we've been super lucky and fortunate about is our six year old is incredibly mature really wanted a sibling and so she's like she she will independently play with our six-month-old so in many ways having the second one has aspects of it being easier um because we have an even bigger team to you know to to team up with so that's awesome and then what do you think sparked your oldest's uh maturity you know that's a good question you know my wife and i always talk about this sort of like nature versus nurture um, what is it? I think, uh, you know, I think on the, on the nature side, my wife and I both, um, you know, I'm, I'm the eldest of my family. My brother and sister are eight and 10 years younger than me. So, uh, my wife oh, and wow. I, we, yeah, we, we both, uh, have two siblings. And so we've, we sort of had a bit of the caretaker ish role in our families of some sorts. And I think, our daughter has observed some of that, absorbed some of it. Um, you know, I think there's a bit of nature in 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 that regard. Just you know, maybe something was ingrained in, in in her, but I think the nurture has definitely sharpened that maturity for her. Um, you know, she's seen a lot over the past few years. My my wife is a cancer survivor. My father is a cancer survivor. Um, she's seen multiple family members go through. Um, you know, health challenges in the past few years. And she's just developed this really sharp emotional acuity towards observing what's going on and just trying to be helpful. And, and I think it's, it's raised her maturity quite a bit. Wow. That's um, an incredible answer. And I definitely, I love that you and your wife talk about nature and nurture often because it's the same, same thing that my wife and I talk about all the time as well these days as we start to like see our kid go, um, our oldest is four and she's going to turn five and you could see her developing her own uh, mindset and her personality, but also pulling so much from both of us. And, uh, yeah. yeah, it's like this constant battle of how to be a good parent during this this phase where you actually get to see your input coming out as an output in your kid, you know? Uh, totally. But anyways, yeah. Totally. So let's talk about your childhood. What, how was your childhood and what was that like? Yeah, I think going back to that sort of nature and, and nurture uh, framework a bit, you know, my childhood was, um, it was largely shaped by where I was and um, you know, what my parents were doing. So, you know, I was born in uh, South Florida near Miami, uh, moved to Jamaica when I was five years old, where my parents started a, a business. Jamaica, the Whoa. country, not not Jamaica, Queens. Um, whenever I say Jamaica, people are like, oh yeah, Jamaica, Queens. I'm like, no, 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 Jamaica, the country. Um, wow. Yeah. And, That's wild. Uh, so wait, we got to stop there. You got to, you got to yeah, double yeah. click on that. Why yeah. did your parents, why did your parents move from Florida to Jamaica, the country? Yeah. That's a great question. We have to double click. Sorry. We have to double click. That's no, 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 no. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think the, 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 what's interesting about, so I'm Indian by ethnicity and, um, the part of India where my family's from is called Sin. That is now in Pakistan. And basically in 1947, which was right around when my dad was born, there was a partition in India, right? And India, Pakistan, and Bangladesh over time sort of became separate countries. 
where we were became displaced. So uh, people who were Sydney, who were from, you know, my, where, where, uh, where my family's from, went all over the world, right? Africa, Jamaica, Hong Kong. And so uh, my dad ultimately moved around the world um, for basically employment opportunities. So mm. when he was 18, he moved to Hong Kong. Um, at one point, he moved to the U.S. At one point, he moved to Jamaica, um, you know, worked for different people there. And, um, you know, moved to Miami. And uh, that's where I was born. And then he had an opportunity to go back to Jamaica and start a business. Um, and so that's what led him to to go to Jamaica. There were tons of people he knew that had started businesses out there. And so he went to do something similar. How, how did we so this is like this is like digital nomading, but without the digital aspect. <clears throat> totally. How, yeah. How I mean, he, when I. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Sorry. Yeah. I apologize. How did he find these opportunities? That's like the wildest thing to me. You know, my, my wife and I reflect on this often, which is, you know, we think about anything we're looking for input on a few clicks on a keyboard, we can get the input, right? Like that's right. Where's the job? Where's the restaurant? Whatever. Uh, our parents' generation, um, you know, when he was in India way back when, I mean, he was sending letters, right. To, to his friends all over the world. And keeping in touch with people and um, just sort of serendipitously people he knew went all over the world. And uh, that's how he found out, hey, there's a bunch of people. Actually, his older brother um, got an opportunity in Jamaica and told him, hey, you should come check it out. Um, and then they all ended up leaving uh, in the 60s or 70s. Um, and then my dad sort of led, led the charge back. So I mean, to answer your question, I mean, he found out about this through just sustaining his network um, largely through like written form, like letters and telegrams and things like that and keeping in touch with people. That's amazing. That's pretty, that's pretty gangster. I will say right now, that's pretty OG. That's, that's incredible um, that he was able to do that and basically build out what we take for granted in, in snail mail. That's totally. amazing. Totally. And so how does one even go about, were you there then? So you, he moved you guys from Florida to Jamaica. So what does That's that right. mean for starting a business and how, how does he even know to do that? Like, how do you even start that process? Yeah. You know, it's interesting when I think about, you know, today's society and you have so much content out there, you can, you can start a business with a few clicks. Um, with there it's, you know, it was very much, Hey, I know these five people. They know these suppliers that sell these t-shirts, this coffee, these souvenirs. One of these people knows that there's a shop available in this plaza that I can rent. And, um, you know, what's interesting is today when you're opening a business from scratch, it's actually reasonably easy to optically show that you're established, right? You can create a nice polished veneer on your website. You can, you know, uh, there's many ways to sort of fake it, right? Um, That's right. In, in, in his case, one of the clever things he did as somebody brand new there and he's going to, you know, he's going to businesses and saying, hey, let me rent your space. And, you know, I have no capital and I have no, nothing established. And, you know, the landlord, of course, is thinking I might kick you out in a couple of months. Well, what he did was, you know, he had a friend of a friend who had a really nice car, a Benz at the time. And so he said, hey, let me drive that to my business meeting. Right. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, a lot of it was networking and your network represents sort of your relationship equity as well as sort of optically finding ways to demonstrate that your credibility 
you're you're credible exactly um and so that's you know that's sort of that's sort of how he landed those gigs so amazing he's a total uh entrepreneur hustler i love that he like uh he made yeah. it work yeah okay so now you can continue so you went from jamaica and then how old were you when you were in jamaica so moved there when i was five um and uh we just had a we had we moved around a ton within jamaica and then even back and forth so wow. you know i moved out of jamaica for a little while my dad thought hey um particularly where we were at one point in time, the education system, uh, he didn't think was giving me what I needed. So I lived with my uncle and aunt in the U.S. for a little while. That didn't quite give me what I needed from a family perspective because I missed my parents. My sister at the time was like, want or just being born. Um, so my dad brought me back. And so there was a lot of back and forth between Jamaica and, and the U.S. Uh, and then within Jamaica, there's two main cities we lived in, Montego Bay and Negril. Um, ultimately we ended up having a good long stretch run in the city of Negril, which is all tourist land. Um, not a lot of like, there's no true like local economy there. It's really all tourism. My school was about an hour, hour and a half drive away. Um, so we're sort of in this like tourist oasis running a business and, um, you know, my dad arranged so I could go to school, which there was no, there was no high school in our area. Um, or even uh, primary, like prep pre-high school in my area. And so um, that's that's what we did. Wow, that's amazing. And so then ultimately you did come back to the States to finish schooling, right? Or did you just do it all I internationally? Did. Or? Yeah. No, I did. So um, I was 14 and in Jamaica, I had skipped a couple grades and the system was set up in such a way that I was actually on track to graduate college, uh, sorry, high school at 15. Jamaica and uh and my dad sort of I think had two two perspectives one like you're not ready for no college at 15 mm -hmm. uh at, at a bare minimum emotionally and then and then secondly you know he felt well okay you're gonna graduate high school here in Jamaica I would like for you to get educated in the United States but you're not gonna get the financial aid you're not gonna get a, you're not gonna get the scholarship you're not gonna get the visibility to these U.S. schools so he made a big decision to um, have me, my mother, my brother, my sister temporarily move to the United States for two years so that I could go to U.S. high school, get exposed to the U.S. system, um, get fill in gaps in my education that he thought were important. Um, and so we did that. We moved, we moved to Miami. My dad stayed in Jamaica, ran the business. Um, it came at significant emotional and financial cost. Uh, especially to him and, and to my mother. Um, and uh, so I was in Miami for two years, established residency, and that's how I was able to sort of get a, a full ride to a university in the U.S. Wow. Talk about strategy and and um, designing what you want out of uh, life. That was... And sacrifice. Yeah, unbelievable amount of sacrifice. Yeah, that's incredible story. How... <clears throat> How much of that is how much of that has impacted you and in, in when you become and you, as you become a dad? A hundred percent. It it uh, you know it became very central to my DNA around making sure it, it actually started with my brother and sister, right? Because I mentioned they're eight and ten years younger than me, so I sort of felt like a father figure of sorts to them. Um, and so, in 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 some ways, I sort of like parented semi parented them, right? They would actually give me a, a card on Father's Day. Um, mm. And so what ended up happening was 
after I graduated college, I had my brother and sister move in with me. Um, and I made certain sacrifices so that they could get educated in the United States and go to university there. So, you know, my dad had sort of instilled that sense into me of like, you know, we're as a family making the sacrifice, you're going to get a college education. After that, you know, you're going to sort of make a similar sacrifice to get your, your brother and sister that similar education. And, and now I think it plays into how we design our lives. My, my wife and I, um, you know, I've, a big part of you asked me earlier how I got into growth marketing and, and this gig, you know, it was a combination of a enjoying the growth marketing work I was doing at a startup, but also b finding a field where I could do this work in a fractional capacity so I could over invest time with my, my daughters at home. Wow. That's amazing. I love the level of strategy that you've parlayed into your life. And then, so are you, are you then looking to um, instill some of those, um, kind of mindsets and, and values to your kids? Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Um, I, I think the short answer is yes, but I think the more nuanced answer is my wife and I are, um, we have a lot of conversations around the trade-offs in this, right? So, so while I think it's easy to sort of lionize the sacrifices my family has made uh, and the benefits we've accrued from Right. We've, we've accrued immense benefits, job opportunities, ability to live in places with immense candidly privilege. Um, you know, it also came at certain emotional costs, like being separated from my family came at a real cost. And I, I think it's easy to, to not view that cost today, but, you know, I'm sure it plays out in my life today, some of those costs, right? And so the short answer is, you know, I mean, we would like these values to be passed on to our kids, but at the same time, we, want them to, we don't want them to over-index on them, right? I can already tell my my older daughter, my six-year-old, she's very much like, I will sacrifice anything for anybody. Like she will, you know, minimize herself and I'm not, that concerns me. Hmm. So how do you counteract that? Yeah, it's a lot of active dialogue. You know, I think, one thing I realized is like, I can't just develop some strategy to try to counteract it and hope it works. I have to actually yeah. external, externalize my thinking to my six-year-old, right? So, so when she does stuff like that, I tell her, hey, it's great that you're thinking about others. Like she'll make sure everybody else has like a snack and like, you know, sacrifice her eating a snack. I'm like, I, I appreciate and admire that you're so thoughtful. I said, but you know, you do have to nourish yourself um, and that's important. And I want you to know that. And so I, I just try to externalize how I think about things, um, not to admonish or anything like that, but just tell her like, you know, make sure you're thinking about the other side of it. Um, and so a lot of it is very, very active dialogue with, with our six-year-old. That's awesome. And so if I were to ask you how you qualify success um, as a parent, what do, you, what do you think you would say? How do I qualify success as a parent? You know, I... I yeah. I don't know that I'll ever achieve success as a parent, uh, but I think the journey that we're on is one such that our daughter has immense self-worth at all times. And I think, oh, wow. you know, I think if she feels a tremendous sense of self-worth, I am worthy. You know, we have this book, I'm enough and my 18 or 16 month old niece also loves it. She keeps saying, I'm enough, I'm enough. And I love that she says that. Um, I think a lot of joy, happiness, 
just I think it develops a strong base. So if I were to just pick one thing, I think just a sense of worth. I don't need to do something to prove myself to others. I don't need to, you know, do X for love um, or acceptance. Um, I think that's probably the number one thing I, I really want her to, to have for her whole life. It's awesome. And if I can ask a personal question, what do you think yeah. your uh, what do you think your dad would uh, would qualify success as parenting? You know, I think one one thing he's told me a lot is you know he always wanted me to have a better life than he had. Um, mm. You know, and and I think that that comes in many 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 forms, right? Like, yeah, he he worked seven days a week, 10, 12, 14, 16 hour days. Um, and he, you know, he, he, if I think about our generation or my, you know, like I, I can work hard for the day then I can watch Netflix at night. Like my dad was not doing that. He was not like, Oh, yeah. now it's entertainment time. He was That's like, right. it's grind time or it's grind time. Right. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. and, 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 and he did that because, you know, now he looks at my life and he's like, Hey, you have more time to spend with your kid. Hey, you have the opportunity to invest in your hobbies. And he's like, that's what I want you to do, right? I don't want you to have to feel like you're on the treadmill. So I think he he thinks of it as he went on that treadmill so that hopefully we don't have to continue to be on that treadmill. Yeah, and in, in, in many ways you could say that he was successful then because you said something earlier about being able to um, fractionalize your work time so that you could yeah. actually allocate, yeah, the time that you have uh, for your kids. So what, what, what kind of derived that desire to kind of like manufacture that in your life? Like, why is that a, a, an important facet? Yeah. You know, I think it's, um, I think it starts with just like a, a, a broad ethos. My, my wife and I just immensely have valued family our whole lives. We've, that's a big thing that brought us together when we met each other was just the way family is very high up on our hierarchy. But honestly, I think life took a lot of that conceptual philosophy and, and made it very practical. Um, you know, about a year in, so our daughter was about a year old and I realized that, you know, with my commute to work and everything, I was basically getting an hour and a half with her a day. Um, and I thought to myself, like 90 minutes a day just doesn't feel like enough. Um, mm. and I'm fortunate and privileged enough to even have that conversation. Right. Um, a lot of society is not, I know my parents were not. And so I said, you know what, uh, I've been working at the time. It was like 15 years. And I was like, I'm, what I'm going to do. And my wife and I talked about it is we're going to go from a, you know, dual income to a single income for some period of time. And I'm just going to raise her for a while, just all day, you know, let's move away from having a nanny. And I just, just want to be a stay at home dad for a while. And the intent was always to do that for some short period of time. Um, less than a year, and then ultimately start my own uh, startup. And I started trying to bootstrap it at nights, on weekends. Um, and then we just had a series of events in our family. So, you know, a few months after I, I did that, maybe two, two months after, yeah, uh, my father got diagnosed with cancer. And uh, that was a long journey that, you know, required me to be very, very hands-on at the hospital, etc. cetera. Uh, he got out of that, and then my wife... Um, got uh got cancer she got out of that and then my dad had a heart attack and so and then her father had a stroke so we had a series of family health emergencies and yeah. it forced i don't say forced it created an environment where the value of my time outside of work was so immensely high that my problem statement became 
I need to make enough money to invest time with my family, be there for them, support them. But I can't do that if I'm working a 70 hour week. And so it forced my problem solving. And I sort of put the startup thing on the side. I put a lot of things on the side and said, okay, I serendipitously had an opportunity um, to work at Masterclass as sort of like a fractional head of growth for a little while. And that just led me on this sort of fortuitous path um, of seeking these fractional opportunities so I could um, do the things I wanted to do with my family. That's awesome. So the, the opportunity presented itself to you to basically um, silo a specific skill set that had value that you could fractionalize. That's right. And talk about talk about a great one to have that uh, that opener with. Masterclass is an amazing company and brand. I, I love that. I love that platform. It's so good. Totally. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's a good one to have. That's an amazing story. And I, I love that you're doing that intentionally. I will say that um, hearing you talk about it is very inspiring for me because me starting to do consulting myself a year and a half ago, I had the intention and, and the desire to spend more time with my kids. Yeah. And that was really the impetus for wanting to be a consultant. And um, I think I may have lost my way a little bit <laughs> over the last six months. But uh, talking to you right now has been really, really great and inspiring for me to hear because it just kind of reminds me about the time that I you know, talked to my wife about like not working for a few months to find myself and uh, kind of the emotional journey I went through. Obviously, it, it was a lot um, simpler than I think your story was, but um, I, do, I do need to put um, some thought into how I got to the point that I'm at because I think I've kind of veered off course from my original attention hearing you talk. And so for what it's worth, I thank you for <laughs> recalibrating oh, no. me and setting my, my inspiration for my uh, original expectations for myself about a year and a half ago. This is a really great conversation. Um, so that being said, um, how do you qualify work then? So now you're doing fractional work. So what's success for you at the job? How do you qualify what that success looks like? You know, it, it's interesting whether fractional or, or full-time, um, the number one thing that gives me joy at work um, is seeing people succeed. Um, and, you know, I think that's something when I first started getting into fractional work, I felt I was not going to have right? Because it's often you go into fractional work and it's sort of transactional or very tactical. But the virtue of the type of roles I've had, these fractional growth roles, you're working very cross-functionally across organizations. You're working with marketing, you're working with product, you're working with R&D. And so I've been lucky to have opportunities to impact people in their careers. Um, And, you know, it's as simple as them shooting me a Slack message and saying, you know, thanks for X, like it really helped me level up my thinking or really helped me uh, deliver on this project. And so, you know, as long as I'm getting that feedback that I am helping, it it comes back to growth in a broader sense, which is not just the company and the product growing, but the people growing within it and then getting bigger opportunities. Um, For me, that's that's success. That's awesome. That's great. And you think that has that changed since you started doing this kind of um, fractional work versus you know, previous to um, you jumping into this and working full time, like, yeah, I think those those measures of success have changed. Uh, you know, I don't think the measure has changed, but the way to achieve it has. Right. So, you know, prior to taking on these fractional roles, uh, when I was at a full time company, you know, I have a team and I am managing their feedback and their reviews. And there's a very formalized structure in which I can influence and support their career. Um, and in some ways, 
it, it makes the work, of, it brings clarity to that problem, right? So I need to give person X the opportunity. I need to give person Y the feedback. I need to syndicate their story with senior leaders. And like the clarity is there. Now in my role, in a fractional role, you know, a company brings me in and say, hey, here's where we want to grow the company, right? They're not bringing me in for a people people problem. It's a company, let's grow, let's have the product scale, let's move marketing. But the only way to do that is to actually work with these people and help them level up. So it becomes a little bit more implicit than it is explicit. And what I find that's a little bit different about it is the relationship building becomes important because when, if you're not, you know, if you're not in this formalized role to give somebody reviews, they have to trust you and, uh, to, 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 to work with you to do that work. Right. So, um, yeah. I think it's just, it, it's different than I have to really spend that time and build that relationship in a way that is less formal. Yeah. That's a really good point. It's so awesome that you've already figured that out. I, how long did it take you to figure that out? Or did you get it kind of get it immediately from your management consulting days? I don't know that I got it immediately. I think, you know, when I first started, it was just like prove value, right? So like yeah. company yeah. X is bringing you in, like, I want to move this metric by Y percent in the next few weeks. That that's was right. my thinking. Um, and then of course, implicitly, as I thought about that, it, it just meant doing what we just talked about. Um, right. So I don't, I don't think I had some aha so much as it organically happened. And then yeah. in retrospect, I was like, ah, okay. I see how it's kind of the same. It took me, I'll tell you personally, it took me like, I think over a year before I really like started to like figure that out intentionally that like I knew what I had to do, but I also needed to focus first on building that trust and rapport so that it can actually move forward faster and more efficiently and also more sustainingly, right? Like right. The, the reality is I can come in with this knowledge, which is what I got hired for, but if people didn't buy into it or they didn't trust me, it really didn't matter what I knew. And so you had to really develop a fast, a very, very fast skill on, not sorry, you had to develop a very honed skill on building trust and rapport very fast in order for your knowledge to even be applied to solve this problem. And um, I, I obviously did it like you, similar to you, like not knowingly, but I will say I did have a more magical aha moment earlier this year. <laughs> and I feel a little bit dumb talking to you about it because you've probably just figured it out more intuitively. But yeah, I was like, oh man, I really do need to like intentionally spend the time on this first so that I can get to that faster. Um, so interesting talking to another consultant. It's so fun. Uh, I love it. Where do you see yourself going from here? Are you, are you, are you, um, are you going to like write on this kind of fractional work until your kids are of, of like, you know, leaving the nest or what's the plan here? Yeah. Yeah. It, you know, it, go, it goes back to this sort of, there are things that are conceptually philosophical in my mind. And, and, and then over time you want to make those tangible and tactical. And I've always, um, you know, we, you asked me earlier about what success looks like at work and it's, it's always been leveling up people. Um, and so I've always had this interest in building a platform, a marketplace for professional coaching right? Um, in small groups, one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and so that's something I want to invest in, um, sort of bootstrapping my own career coaching marketplace of sorts. Uh, but with the forcing function that you outlined, which is like, I, I, I will not sacrifice capacity with my kids, my wife, my family. And so mm. I am sort of in the process of defining what does that look like? What, like, how long does that look like? Um, I think the other piece is, you know, when it comes to people and it comes to purpose is I want to work 
with companies that I just feel exceptionally good about. And, you know, when I was in consulting or even in the agency, there are times where you work with companies and you just feel like lockstep with their mission. And there are times where you might be neutral on it, like, eh, you know, I don't know, it's yeah. selling X, Y, or Z. It doesn't really matter as much, but it's good work. Yeah. And then there are times where I'm just averse to it, right? Like, I think that this company is creating negative externality. And so I've been fortunate to work with ed tech companies where I believe the purpose is immense, right? Masterclass being one, OutSchool being um, the core company I work with today that, that is a platform for teaching kids and my daughter uses it all the time. So ultimately, I want to work where people's careers are being influenced in a positive way and we're creating this positive externality in the world. And if I, don't, if I do those two things while investing and spending the time I want with my family, I'm happy. Nice. Very good answer. I love it. Javon, I'm going to uh, switch gears to my rapid fire questions. That I like to ask all the guests, Go for it. Um, just so there's some symmetry to these interviews. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for other parents and soon to be parents? What yeah. advice do I have? Um, talk to your kids. That's it. Just talk, 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 talk. Um, the more authentic you are, the more vulnerable you are with your kids, the more you externalize why you are doing things the more they can understand it and even push back. Um, and that's, a, that's something I love about um, with my daughter. I'll explain to her why I'm thinking about something a certain way and she'll push back. Um, so, yeah. Awesome, I like it. If you can go back and tell yourself one thing before having kids, what would you tell yourself? Spend a lot of time with your significant other and enjoy the freedom and liberty, right? Go to the movies do that midnight dessert run, whatever it is, but just enjoy that, that freedom. And once you enjoy it, uh, and then you have your kids, I don't think you'll look back. Very nice. What is the most surprising thing that you've learned about yourself after you've become a parent? Most surprising thing I've learned about myself is that I can actually be more patient than I ever thought. I think my career trajectory has always been one that has demanded impatience from me, um, just being consulting, right? Uh, and I've never had to exercise the level of patience I now have to as a parent. And um, I think when you love somebody so unconditionally and just want the very best for them, being patient actually becomes incredibly easy. It's awesome. And then um, finally, um, what's your all-time favorite business book? all-time favorite business book. Um, I love the book Pursuit of Happiness. I don't think it's a traditional business book um, about Chris Gardner and Will Smith played him in, in the movie. But specifically hearing his journey, his grit, his resolve, um, you know, uh, you would never expect him to, to, to hit that meteoric rise in his career. It inspired me a lot. I read it very early in my career. Um, and it was something that I would always sort of have in the back of my mind of, you know, like anything is possible and you can sort of, you know, with grit and perseverance, you can achieve whatever it is that you're looking to achieve. It's awesome. I, I actually do have one more that I want to ask you a little bonus yeah. question, just because I know you're, um, well, two actually, now that I think about it, because you're a growth, growth expert. And so I want to ask you, like, based on the current um, economic trends and just kind of like the world as it is today, what are you seeing happening in the growth side of um, growth, essentially? Yeah, a lot of things. I think, you know, um, growth marketing can, uh, in probably, you know, five years ago for a lot of people was A, spend a lot of money on performance marketing and B, 
build product loops so that your marketing dollars go further. Uh, I think some of the changes we're seeing is a lot more investment and time on product-based loops. Um, everybody who has scaled their business with Facebook and Google and paid marketing is realizing A, the increasing competitiveness of it, B, with privacy rules, um, it's becoming harder to optimize your ad spend. And so I think you know the number one thing I, I see is everybody's asking themselves, how can I wean myself off of the drug of performance marketing? How can I rely <laughs> more on my product to have the viral loops embedded in it to actually sustain its own growth? That's one. Uh, I think two, thinking about growth, not just from a product and marketing lens, but actually from a community lens, right? If you think about the amount of products that now grow because there's a community around it, that may be having a conversation adjacent to the product, um, but end up sort of fueling the growth of that. I think that's something I'm seeing a lot of. A third thing is that um, particularly companies that are spending dollars today and expecting some LTV, some lifetime value over a period of time, with the amount of investment dollars that are pouring into the D2C space these days, people are willing to extend those payback windows. They're willing to make a bet today that will pay back rather than in six to nine months, 12 to 18 months, for example. Wow. So there's a lot of, you know, hey, we're gonna make that bet today and we'll have the ROI catch up. And we believe at some point, you know, the margin, uh, the, the margin economics will work out. So top of my head, I think those are, those are. So, I guess the other one I would add is, um, you know, the newer platforms, right? The, the TikToks, for example, and Snapchat is not as new, but their, their ad product is, is a bit more nascent. Um, you're seeing a lot of people ask themselves, how can I shift dollars towards these um, more sort of quick hitting content type of uh, platforms? Wow, thank you for that. <laughs> I totally squeezed in some free consulting for everyone here. I love it. So I appreciate uh-huh. you answering that question and uh, sharing some of your expertise with us. Um, I know it's sure. been probably uh, a burning question for most people that are trying to be successful right now is just how to navigate growth during this time. So I appreciate you sharing that knowledge. Yeah. Javon, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. And I no uh, will talk to you soon. Okay. Thank you. I am deeply appreciative of the opportunity and I uh, hope we get a chat more again soon. Yeah. Look forward to it. Take right. care. Take care. Yeah. See you, man. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Girl Dad Show. We really hope you enjoyed that interview. And as always, please take a moment to review, rate, and subscribe. We'll see you next time.